Am I still supposed to do it in five minutes? Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, my, um, my area of interest is in sociology of collective action and social movements. And of course, a number of a good number of movements are uh, active in the area of well-being and health. Uh, but my focus has been mostly on those movements that have been promoting uh, post-neoliberal um, futures or systems. Uh, and some of them actually have a strong um, um, implications for the way that we, un we, we can actually tr uh, understand well-being um, and health, public health. Um, um, again, as part of, I have to actually skip some of these to get to this, and I hope that I won't confuse you. Uh, part of my um, interest is in um, um, in quantitative research, as again part of my commitment to to uh, mixed method approach, and I'm very much interested in the development of uh, composite indicators. Um, most recently, I have developed the idea of uh, critical open-mindedness, and it's uh, it's a forthcoming um, a, a paper. Uh, but again, um, uh, as a result of um, some supervision, uh, co-supervision with and. Um, uh, uh, a student, a PhD student in, uh, who is interested in the well-being of, of uh, single parents in Kuwait, and also a, um, uh, an honors student interested in the subjective well-being of, uh, of our academic staff here, and she wants to relate it to actually to corporatization of the university. Um, I have become um, interested in the topic of well-being, which is huge, and I can't really map it here. It's probably impossible. Uh, but uh, for the sake of this uh, presentation, um, I um, have actually tried to uh, draw on some data from the World Values Survey. I don't uh, have another, you know, uh, more specified or a specialized um, uh, data set um, at the moment. Uh, the, good, the bad thing about this uh, World Values Survey is that it's not specifically designed to measure well-being um, or health, uh, there, is, there is a number of questions within that survey questionnaire which is, uh, which is done normally every five to seven years across the board and, especially in, and also in Australia. The most recent one was in 2012 and I'm drawing on that data set. Uh, the positive thing about it is that it's a, it's a very rich source of um, social values, measurement of social values. So um, I can actually throw some variables uh, um, uh, that m pro probably other uh, studies can't, uh, but I have to actually 
limit myself to a very small number of questions in that survey, uh, which, which measure, uh, we can say that they, they help us to measure uh, subjective well-being uh, based on some very, uh, you know, commonly basic um, assumptions or definitions. So uh, the, the model is uh, it's, uh, it's a causal model. It's, I use a, 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 a software uh, program, computer program called Amos, uh, and and um, and the method is called a structural equation modeling. It's just simply uh, trying to find uh, you know uh, causal uh, interactions between factors or variables. Um, I should actually. Um, um, make this point that causality here is mostly associated with the idea of covariation and covariation does not mean always causality and whenever you don't have covariation that doesn't mean there is no causality uh, but this is the maximum that we can get out of this sort of uh, quantitative uh, uh, research methods and uh, therefore they they're considered uh, uh, by some people especially those uh, who are very much attached to qualitative um, uh, as, as not very, you know, uh, radical. I mean, they're very conservative you know, by, by nature. Uh, but even uh, despite the fact that this is a conservative approach to, to such studies, and, the, and, and uh, the data is not specifically designed, the data set is not specifically designed for this, uh, for this purpose, um, uh, still the result uh, corresponds very strongly to uh, many uh, parallel um, studies um, of more sophisticated data. Um, uh, as you can see, for instance, um, um, socioeconomic status and income has a, has a positive impact on, on our subjective well-being. Um, and um, and um, living an unsecured life has a negative um, um, impact on that. Um, um, age, for instance, or I know, of course, um, unemployment has a, has a negative direct impact on subjective well-being. Um, age um, uh, actually doesn't have any direct impact, probably because it has two um, opposite indirect impacts. With aging, of course, uh, our, our health declines, but also at the same time, we're more uh, capable of securing a more secured life. Uh, therefore, uh, you won't see a, a direct uh, relationship between age and subjective well-being. And you can say the same thing about education. Education, lack of education is associated with, with lack of uh, uh, social trust, and especially among older people, which make them more anxious and less happy and, of course, less satisfied with life, and therefore lower level of, lower of subjective well-being. Um, um, and, um, uh, but on the other hand, education can also improve our chance to get jobs where we can actually exercise or enjoy some level of autonomy. And autonomy in the workplace, because you know, we spend most of our days in, in the workplace, uh, has a positive impact on our well-being. Uh, but, uh, and it's an important but, uh, women and, um, and people of, um, um, of lower socioeconomic status regardless of their educational achievement, uh, are not actually enjoying from this relationship between autonomy and, and well-being, because they don't have that much of well-being that men or people of higher socioeconomic status have uh, in terms of um, autonomy at work. 
Um, I can explain how each of these variables are measured, what questions are, are used by probably later as part of the um, um, uh, uh, Q&A. But uh, to this point, this is not really surprising. This is what is, um, other studies have, have actually uh, uh, found. But the issue here, because as I said before, um, um, uh, what surprises me, um, as I said before, the, the data actually is rich in terms of uh, including all sorts of, uh, of, of social values, is that actually uh, political conservatism and, um, um, and, uh, um, and um, lack of attention or, or, or lack of sensitivity towards social justice uh, or social democratic values would also positively contribute to our well-being, subjective well-being. And uh, this actually um, uh, corresponds to, to a number of uh, very you know, strong criticisms of, um, of, uh, of the mainstream approach we normally take in order to, to study uh, uh, well-being or subjective well-being in this case. Um, so uh, if I'm allowed, um, I would just quickly read out the rest of this just to save more time and, and give you more information. So to this point, everything said about the predictors of well-being was almost predictable and compatible with the findings of many other studies in the literature. But surprisingly, as the analysis reveals, being less sensitive towards social injustice and less sympathetic with social democratic values, holding politically conservative views and a stronger nationalistic sentiments, having more confidence in right-wing parties, corporations, and armed forces, and being less caring about the climate change all positively contribute to our subjective well-being. Interestingly, all these factors are associated with lower levels of education, indicating that more education is more harmful to our subjective well-being by making us more sensitive to the injustices of the socio-ecological world we all belong to. So this indicates that the assumptions behind the mainstream notion of subjective well-being are ideologically informed, and this confirms the criticisms of authors like William Davis, the author of The Happiness Industry, who argue that the metrics of well-being are systematically disconnected from meaning and community. So most concepts of well-being similarly rendered hedonistic, uh, self-centered, depoliticizing, demoralizing, and utilitarianistic tendencies, which of course serve the purposes of policymakers in our neoliberal time. <laughs> so recent efforts by critical sociology or social sciences to stress the social aspects and politicize the idea of well-being, uh, I acknowledge that, through, the, through deconstructing the mainstream intellectual projects, still in, inadequately acknowledge the cultural specificities, the centrality of communal life, and the criticality of ecological um, environment. So but now, by drawing um, um, on my studies of recent, uh, recently rising social movements in the global south, and the, especially the advocates of, as I said before, the post-neoliberal futures, notably the indigenous movements in Latin America for the concept of uh, buen vivir, uh, Spanish uh, and in its English is living well together, I would like to argue that a profound shift in our understanding of people's health and well-being is necessary. So I'm trying to coin a new term 
uh, I would probably call it social well-living, uh, living well together and with nature, is an alternative concept that I am coining here, inspired by the Saturn and indigenous traditions and movements. It is based on the core idea that individuals, communities, and nature all share the same material and a spiritual essence. I, however, would like to warn from onset that such a concept should not be turned into another reified notion like well-being. So the question here is not about how far my, ecolo my ecological and communal conditions are suitable to me to obtain more pleasure and avoid pain, according to the hedonic views, or to fulfill my true self according to the uh, eudaimonic perspectives. So social well-living is about the capacity of individuals to care for and to promote the well-being of their communities and their environment in the most autonomous way through democratic and consensual mechanisms. This is not, of course, to forget the individual. The aim is to reach and to maintain balance. Subject to well-living as a general framework rather than a fixed notion emphasizes diversity, self-sufficiency, reciprocity, conviviality, and peaceful coexistence. It can be achieved in society where all individuals have equal access to the resources and opportunities necessary to promote health and happiness for everyone, especially the disadvantaged, and to achieve a sustainable balanced relationship with nature. Therefore, the distribution of well-being needs to be incorporated in our definition of well-living. Since well-living is culture-specific phenomenon, it cannot be grasped or measured to, through universal or standardized scales or methods to overcome the existing false dualisms of the individual versus the collective, the subjective versus the objective, the cultural versus the natural. Studies of uh, social well-living need to be open to mixed method, multifactorial, interdisciplinary, critical realist, and deconstructionist approaches. That's just a kind of a political statement at the end. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Anne. Thanks for coming. Yeah. 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 I think I. I, I acknowledge. I probably. I have tried to. Um, caricaturize a little bit here, uh, but um, I, I think still we're far from you know um, a, a good um, acknowledgement of um, of, um, of the views, cultural views, uh, you know, and the, rel the, the relativity of you know how people define their own own happiness and well-being. I think it's it's a yes, yeah. Yes, 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 but I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm still open to quantitative, and I'm, I, mean, I don't reject that. I think quantitative is also important, but uh, but you need to actually complement it with qualitative and action research and 
and get a lot of ideas. Um, uh, well, this is, this is quantitative, but it's actually very revealing. It reveals the, the, the fallacies and the problems. Um, so it depends how you actually define the variables. A lot of subjectivity goes into, into quantitative. Um, yeah. Yep, okay. Yeah, thanks.